Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Let's return to the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul wrote, Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, Being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem the other, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. We pray his blessing upon the reading of his word. Wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody in the state and everybody in the nation got along? Wouldn't it be great? We wouldn't know what to do with ourselves if everybody got along. If everybody had the same attitudes, the same goals in mind, the same... perspective on reality. I tell you, not only would it be wonderful if that were true in the state, it would also be wonderful if that were, that, if that were true in the church. And I'm not just talking about this particular local church, but in the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it's found. It would be a wonderful thing for all of the saints to be unified together thinking the same things, believing the same things, pursuing the same goals. Last Sunday we examined the foundation of unity in the church and we noted that it consists of four things. The foundation upon which the church is built consists of four things. Of course, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ, but there are certain things that we have in Jesus Christ that have formed that foundation for the church. First of all, spiritual strength and encouragement that we have in Jesus Christ. Spiritual strength and encouragement that we have in Jesus Christ. The gentle and kind persuasion of a heavenly Father that loves us and has demonstrated his love toward us. 
the partnership with and participation in the Holy Spirit of God whom the Lord has sent to be with us in our Lord's absence. And the compassion and mercy that we're to have toward one another in Christian love. These things form the foundation of the Christian church. But today, I want us to look at the essence of unity. The essence of unity. We, we long for uh, people to be unified. We long for people to be together on the same page. But, and we long for that in the Christian church. But what does that look like? What is the essence of unity? What are those characteristics and those qualities that make diverse members of the church and ministries of the church a unified whole, W-H-O-L-E, a unified whole, a single force in the kingdom of God and in the community? What are those aspects? What are those characteristics of unity that, that's to be seen in the church. I want to say it again, how important it is, how important it is that the church be unified in our knowledge and our faith in Jesus Christ. It is a vital necessity that God's people be unified in their knowledge and faith in Jesus Christ. We live in a culture where many religions are free to express publicly their beliefs, their theology, their practices, their ideas. And with a myriad of religious beliefs and practices, it's easy to become confused, is it not? It's easy to get frustrated, and it's easy to be misled as to which of these groups are biblically based and doctrinally true. Even in the evangelical church, if we want to narrow it down just to the evangelical church, there are, there's a wide range of biblical and doctrinal beliefs that create confusion and doubt that weaken a person's faith that may even cause individuals to not only leave the church, but to leave the faith entirely. In the 1970s, when I was in college, it was widely held that upwards of 80%, upwards of 80% of people joining religious cults in America came from mainline evangelical churches. Upwards of 80% of people joining cults, religious cults in America, came from mainline evangelical churches. Which tells us that we haven't done our job, and we're still not doing our job, in presenting the pure gospel in presenting biblical truth, in helping people understand what the Bible teaches 
and how they can assimilate the teachings of Scripture effectively in their lives so that they can live for Jesus Christ rather than turn away from Jesus Christ for something else that tantalizes them, fancies them. There is no doubt many of us have experienced the heartbreak of a church splitting apart over faulty biblical interpretation, over doctrinal disagreements, over ministry malpractice. We've learned, sadly so, we've learned through experience that Jesus was right when he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And we as Christians have learned the hard way that Jesus was no fool. He knew exactly what he was talking about. Unity among believers in Jesus Christ is necessary if the church is to rightly glorify and honor Jesus Christ in reaching lost souls with the gospel and discipling saved souls in spiritual maturity through the preaching and the teaching and the ministry of God's Word. If we're not on the same page, if we're not a Cadillac firing on all cylinders, if the building that we are in Christ Jesus and the building that we're a part of in Christ Jesus <coughs> excuse me, doesn't have a strong foundation and doesn't express because they experience the same attitudes, the same motivations, have the same goals in mind, then that building in Christ will not stand. It's like the parable that Jesus told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When you have the truth, when you know the truth, but you do not do the truth, what? You're building your life on shifting sand. And when the storms of life come, what? The storms of life overtake it. Destroy it. Because it was not built on the firm foundation of hearing the Word of God and obeying the Word of God. But the one who builds his house, his life, on the truth of God's Word, hearing it and applying it, obeying it, is like an individual who builds his house on the solid rock. And no matter what the storms of life may be, that life stands because it's built on the truth of God's Word. So now, what is the essence of spiritual unity in the church? We know what the foundation is. What is the essence of unity in the church? What are the characteristics and the qualities that make spiritual unity in Christ Jesus a reality in the fellowship of believers? First of all, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 2, 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. By being like-minded. And what he means by that is that we strive to hold the same biblical beliefs, the same doctrinal convictions, and we have the same passion for ministry in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be like-minded. We, we use the, you know, the idea of be everybody being everybody on the same page. Everybody uh, finding their niche in the fellowship. Everybody working together. The idea here, being like-minded, is to strive to have the same biblical beliefs. It is to strive to have the same doctrinal convictions. It's to strive to have the same passion for ministry in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important that we experience that because being like-minded prevents discord. You know what discord is? It's like Dave the other day or so when he got up to play his guitar and it wasn't in tune. And so when he played a chord, it didn't sound right. That's discord. Close. No, spot on. Discord. Where the harmony in the fellowship is just not there. It prevents discord. It prevents division. It prevents division in the church where this group over here has their idea about how things should be and this group has their idea and this group has their idea and this group has their idea. And because they cannot come to terms, because they cannot agree, then there is division. There is faction. There is rift in the fellowship. It prevents contention. Contention. You mean there's contention in some churches? Absolutely. Those of you who don't believe that there is contention should have been with us about 20, 25 years ago at a business meeting. We've been down the pathways of contention in the fellowship. It prevents strife in the church. Being like-minded keeps Satan out and the influences of Satan out of the fellowship and allows the Holy Spirit of God to function freely in the hearts and the minds of every single individual and together in the life of the church. It promotes the seven disciplines of church life. When we're like-minded in Christ... We are actively engaged in promoting the seven disciplines of church life. Now, it's often been said that the church will usually focus on a single primary ministry that reflects the theology of its leaders. Some churches are great worship centers because that's where the heart of the leadership of the church is at. Others focus in on personal or corporate prayer. Uh, they, they promote prayer warriors in the church and prayer groups in the church. And the church is actively involved in prayer because the leadership believes 
that that is one of the primary functions of the church. Still others are a springboard for evangelism and for missions and for church planting. Very evangelistic churches. People going out and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not leaving it to the staff to do that, but everyone going out and reaching one individual for Jesus Christ. And then reaching another individual. Or going out on mission trips and starting new churches and building up churches that are weak and becoming an encouragement to churches that are failing in their life and in their ministry. There are some churches who focus their attention on reaching people for Jesus and growing people up in Jesus Christ. There are churches that are also academies for theology and for doctrine. There are those churches that are centers for discipline and discipleship, ministry training. Equipping people to do ministry. I remember that many, many years ago, my father and my mother were uh, in, uh, uh, members of a church in Brazoria, Texas. And at that time, my mother was alive. At that time, my brother Bill was alive. My brother Bill was a Down's Syndrome uh, individual. And this pastor believed that everyone in the church should have a ministry. And so this church was really big on discipling people in a specific ministry. And even my brother Bill was enrolled in a leadership training class. And he served as an usher in the church. There are churches that are big on discipling people and ministry training and leadership training in the church because that's the focus of the leadership and that's the desire of the church. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, reveals that the first Christian church was active in worship, in prayer, in doctrinal preaching and teaching, in evangelism, in fellowship, in discipleship, and in ministry. No one discipline was primary. All of the disciplines of the church were fully engaged in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Here you have a church that was unified in the Holy Spirit of God, carrying on the various disciplines of the church, of the kingdom of God in Jerusalem. The spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. These spiritual gifts reflect the desire that God has that all of us be empowered to develop a church that is dynamic in all seven spiritual disciplines. And the Holy Spirit provides the empowerment for that church to do what the kingdom of God dictates through those spiritual gifts. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, that God gave to the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And they are given to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, a whole man, a spiritually mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness 
of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God has given us leaders in the church to equip the church, to unify the church, and has given spiritual gifts to every member of the church to unify the church, and has revealed the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines of the church, that it might be unified in the common goal of lifting up Jesus Christ and promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ in the church, outside the church, in the community, and all across the world. But we cannot do that if there is no unity in the fellowship. It's a great idea, and it's great theology, but it never comes to fruition if there is no unity in the fellowship. Having the same mind. The second characteristic of the essence of unity is having the same love. And that's what he says here, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love. Now here, the word love is agape, but it's used not in a philosophical or in a theological way. The idea that is used here by the Apostle Paul is that love here is a practical demonstration of compassion and benevolence. It's a wonderful thing to reflect upon the love of God, is it not? It's a wonderful thing to acknowledge that God loves you so much that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for you on the cross, is it not? It's a wonderful thing to know that God loves you so much and that Christ Jesus has loved you so much that He has left us to prepare a place for us in His heavenly eternal kingdom and that He's coming back again to receive us unto Himself that we may dwell with Him forever in that kingdom, is it not? We love to think about these things. We love to reflect upon these things. The love of God. But the Apostle Paul here is asking the Philippian church that that same love that God has demonstrated toward you, we should demonstrate toward each other. It's one thing to, to tell somebody that you love them. It is quite another to actually prove your love for them. And so... Paul is saying, this love, this same love that God has for us, that was not only spoken to us through His Word, but demonstrated toward us through His Son, is the same kind of love that the church should have. Each and every member in love with each and every member. Compassionate. Benevolent. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment, Jesus says... A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And don't skip over that part. Jesus said that you have love one for another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now I ask the question, well how did, dem how did Jesus demonstrate his love toward the disciples? He says that we're to love one another as He has loved them. How did He love them? What were the, the ways in which Jesus demonstrated His love for the disciples? Well, if you think about it, if you just back away from it for a moment and think about it, 
out of the multitude of individuals that followed Jesus, he called 12 of them. He specifically called 12 individuals to be a part of his discipleship training program. And he called these individuals to be with him. Wherever he was, he called them to be with him. And they left their families. And they became a new family in Christ. They left their jobs. And they had a new job in Christ. He provided for them. He encouraged them. And when they stepped out of line, he disciplined them. And when they went out and ministered, as he called them and equipped them to do, he praised them. And he honored them. He taught them of the kingdom of God. He revealed to them through parables and through specific teachings that they engaged in when they were alone and away from the multitudes. He taught them about the mysteries of God and the kingdom of God. He sent them out to minister in His name and He empowered them with spiritual power to do that ministry. Heal the sick, raise the dead. Rebuke the demons from those who were demon-possessed. And he said, don't take an additional supply of money. Don't take an additional supply of clothes. The Lord will provide. Through his people, the Lord will provide. And they experienced these things. For three years with Jesus, they experienced this marvelous love of Jesus Christ. Even Judas Iscariot experienced the marvelous love of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And Peter answered him three times, Lord, you know that I love you. And this was after Peter, you'll recall, had denied Jesus three times as he was there in the courtyard of the high priest on trial for being a blasphemer. And Peter denied his Lord, denied ever knowing him, denied ever having anything to do with him. And when the cock crowed, he wept bitterly because it, he was reminded that the Lord said, You will deny me. You will deny me. But Jesus didn't leave Peter in that sorry, sinful state. He came to him days after the resurrection and met with him and several of the other disciples there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and made breakfast for them. And there in the group, Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And Peter answered, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, I want you to train up the young ones in the faith. Feed my lambs. I want you to pastor those who are maturing in the faith. Shepherd my sheep. And I want you to teach those who are mature to become more mature in the faith. Feed my sheep. 
Peter, this is how much I love you, that I'm calling you back into ministry in the kingdom of God. And Peter, since you have declared your love for me, I have something I want you to do for the rest of your days. I want you to minister to the people of God. That's what love is really all about. It's the same kind of love that has commissioned us in Jesus Christ in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, all that I have taught you, I want you to teach others. And just be mindful of the fact, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be with you. I'll not leave you orphans. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll minister to you and I'll minister through you to others. That's what love is really all about. Galatians 5 verse 13, the Apostle Paul writes, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love be a servant to one another. The Apostle Paul picks up that same, uh, the Apostle Peter picks up that same theme in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 and 9. Finally, he writes, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit the blessing. This is how a church is supposed to act. This is how a church develops unity in the fellowship when we love one another as Christ has loved us. A third aspect of the essence of unity in the church is being in one accord. That's what he says in verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord. Now Nancy and I, we have a Honda Accord at the house and it doesn't mean y'all come on over and pile into that Honda Accord. He's not talking about that kind of Accord. This is a very unique word in the original language. A very unique word. It means to be one souled. S O U L E D. One souled. It means to be knit together in spirit. It means to be souls that beat together in tune with Jesus Christ and with each other. It's more than just agreeing with each other on a specific matter, a specific ministry, or a, a specific operation of the church. It's being in agreement with each other and with Jesus Christ in the very core of our being. It's kind of like saying, you know, I feel like, I believe that the Lord is leading us to do this. And everyone you talk to will say or will respond, you know, I feel the same way. I've been thinking of that very thing. I think that's something that we ought to be doing as well. 
It's everyone in the Spirit of Christ knit to everyone else in the Spirit of Christ. How many of you in the springtime or in the summer when you're out driving around later on in the evening or so and you come across these fields and you see these great clouds of blackbirds and all at once they'll take flight and they swarm but their swarm is beautiful how they maneuver in concert with each other how they move up and down and they make waves and you don't find them bumping into each other and falling out of the sky, but they're all in sync with each other. They're all unified with each other in flight. It's the same with a school of fish. Maybe you've seen this as well, where there are great schools of fish in the, in the ocean, and, and they're all just doing what fish do, swimming around until some danger like a shark or uh, or. or an orca or something of that nature comes along and they sense the danger and they all move together. They all swim together to avoid the crisis, to avoid the conflict. Flying, swimming in sync with every other one in the school or in the flock. Everyone in sync with every other one in a pattern of movement dictated by the leader. Each individual contributes to the whole without drawing attention to itself. I've noticed that in schools of fish. I've noticed that in these great flocks of blackbirds. They all move in sync with the leader and there's not a single one of them that stands out from all the rest. That's what it means to be one-souled. That's what it means to be in accord. In Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, the scripture reads, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. After David had his teenage boy, after he'd gone out and defeated Goliath, and Saul the king had David come to his tent and to give him a sit rep on, on the whole situation. You know, who are you? Where did you come from? Who's your daddy? Want to know everything he could find out about David. And as David explained to King Saul how God had spoke to him, how God had moved upon him, how God had created this sense in his, in his heart and in his spirit, this, this anger, this, this, this righteous indignation toward Goliath who defied the true and living God. Jonathan, the prince of Israel was sitting there next to the king and listened to the words of David. At the end of chapter 17 and now in verse chapter 18 verse 1 scripture tells us that they were knit together in their soul. Jonathan had the same love and fervor and and desire for the things of God that David had. They were on the same page 
with each other. Not like King Saul who was wondering how they were going to defeat the Philistine army. Not like King Saul who was worried about who was going to go out and defeat the giant. Jonathan believed in God as David believed in God. Jonathan wanted something to happen that would, that would call this man to account for his defying the true and living God. David was that man who had the same desire in his heart. They were knit together. And the Hebrew word used here is that their spirits were chained together. Chained together. True Christianity consists of a deep devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, not to a set of doctrinal statements, although that's important, and not to specific theological precepts, even though that's important. The focus of the Christian church should be as every individual Christian in that church, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lord, Jesus Christ, the sovereign God of our faith. When each one in the fellowship of the church is committed to Jesus Christ, as everyone else in the church is committed to Jesus Christ, then we are truly in one accord with each other. The fourth and the final characteristic in the essence of spiritual unity is like the first, but a deeper, stronger, more dynamic presence of mind. Notice what he writes here in verse 2. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, he's not being redundant here. He's being very expressive here. Having one mind is being on the same page. It's having the same affection. It's having the same devotion. It's having the same, uh, the, the same mentality with regard to Christ and the kingdom of God. But here, he uses the same word, but in a in a stronger, more dynamic sense. The apostle wrote, he said, fulfill my joy being like-minded and then having the same love, being of one accord, and then again of one mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then in verse 16 of the same chapter, Romans 12, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Have the same mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. Perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You get the picture here? The Apostle Paul, in every church that he writes to, 
emphasizes the need, the necessity, the importance of everyone focused together on the bigger things of the kingdom of God. Not the little things of the church, but the bigger things of the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.16, this book that we're in the midst of studying. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. And then in this closing words to this church, chapter 4, verse 2, I implore Yodia and I implore Suntike to be of the same mind in the Lord. So here we have this emphasis of the Apostle Paul not only to the church at Philippi, but to the church of Corinth, to the church at Ephesus, so on and so forth, which reveals something to us, if you think about it. The main concern that the Apostle Paul has for the churches, the weak point in the fellowship of the church, is that they are not in unity with each other. The membership is not following the leadership. And the leadership is not in tune with the membership. And the members are not in agreement with each other over what is the basic fundamental goal of the church, which is to exalt Jesus Christ. All you have to do is go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and read the seven letters to the churches to find out that even those churches were not on the same page. They were not of the same mind in carrying out the great commission of exalting Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. So this is the weakness that the Apostle Paul senses in the church, and that's why he addresses it. We are called to think the one thing. We are called to be like clocks, striking at the same time. Different tones, yes, because we're all different individuals. Different tones, but the same tune, at the same beat, at the same time. It's a stronger admonition than like-mindedness. Because like-mindedness really speaks to intellectual harmony, but also a moral attitude and of loving action where here he's talking about every individual united with every other individual and carrying on the work of the kingdom of God in the church. We think of Jesus, whose mind was always on the Father, whose spirit was in concert with all that the Father willed for him in his life, whose heart was knit with the Father's desires, whose life was surrendered to the Father's plan, whose hands ministered to the Father's people. Knit together. That's the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. Being, living, loving, thinking, serving, in one accord with our Heavenly Father's will, in step with the example that the Lord Jesus Christ has set before us, in concert with the leadership of the Holy Spirit who's among us, unified with each other to minister to and through each other to the glory of 
of Jesus Christ. So the apostle writes to this church, Therefore, if there is any consolation of Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fill or fulfill my joy by being like-minded, by, being, by having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Amen? amen? And amen. Let's stand together. David, come and lead us in a song and we'll dismiss. Yeah. What's that? <clears throat> I'm so glad I'm a part Father, as we dismiss, I pray we'll be mindful of your presence with us through your Holy Spirit, that, Father, we will strive to be like-minded, that we will strive to have the same love, that we will strive to be in one accord, that we will have one mind so that Jesus Christ will be honored and glorified, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be first and foremost on our lips, so that ministry to the saints and to those who are outside of the kingdom will be our life's endeavor. Father, put it all together in our lives through your Holy Spirit, so that we will be pleasing in your sight. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.